cultivating your soil. And uh, I want to talk about the power of words. And it's something I've been struggling with for probably about a month now that I've had already. And to be honest with you, I don't really want to bring it because it brings too much conviction. And so uh, we've all been there where we say the wrong thing, we react in in the wrong moment, where we say words that we can't take back, and it just riddles us with guilt. And a few weeks ago, uh, I talked about um, guilt, and guilt is rooted in our decisions. And I also talked about, and this is further on from that, I also talked about um, questions. So in light of my past, what is the wise choice to make in this situation? In light of my present, what is the wise choice to make? In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the right choice to make? And so this is further on from that with regards to our choices and our character. Then we need to think about our speech and the words that come out of our mouth. And as I started thinking about this, um, the Lord gave me a picture of uh, the tree that's out the front of my house. And if any of you have seen the tree that's out the front of my house in a little like bowl thing, it doesn't look very healthy. And so I realized that the health of that tree is indicative of what we do sometimes personally with our lives. And what happens is I get the new tree and it looks great and I plant it and I put lovely flowers around the tree. And I water it every day for maybe two weeks. And then life gets on with itself and I forget to water the tree. And I forget to water the tree for so long that one day I walk past and I realize, my goodness, I haven't watered the tree and I haven't watered the flowers. The flowers are about dead, but the tree's just, you know, it's on the brink of living or dying. And what I do is I come out with a full kettle of water and I water the tree and I water the plants, but the water goes everywhere. And what I realized was that I do the same in life. And this is setting us up for for our words. And what I do is I wait too long and then I try to overwater myself. So what I do is I wait till I've got to the bottom and then I spend a full day repenting. I spend a full day on my knees. I spend a full day reading through all the books of the Bible that I've missed over the last two weeks of my reading plan. I spend hours just spending time with the Lord and it's really, really good. But what I realize is it's like the tree and the plant. I try to do too much at once and I can't saturate it because it's so dry. And what God spoke to me is that he wants more consistency. And consistency is, right, okay, I'm not going to overload it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to water it a little bit today. I'm going to do a wee bit more tomorrow and grow the amount of water because its capability to soak in water when it's so dry is very, very minimal. Do you understand that? So it's so dry that it cannot possibly take all the water. It takes time. It takes consistency. And what I felt God saying was all these things that I'm talking about, about character, about the words we use, about all the things that we've heard Neville. I think we could have a degree in farming now from Neville's sermons. But God is saying, don't overload yourself all at once. You need to be consistent in the small things. And those small things, like Tesco says, every little helps. It's going to build up. And so that's why, again, this morning, I want to look at practical, but I also want to look at the spiritual side. We have to have the spiritual side, but we also have to respond in that spiritual discipline in the physical. And so um, we want to talk about words. And words are simply not just a noise or air that's passing through your larynx. Words have real power and they have real meaning. In Hebrews 11.3, it says that God spoke the world into being through his words. So literally God said, that's why... 
Whenever people say, I believe in the Big Bang, I respond by saying, I believe in the Big Bang too. Because there must have been some kind of noise when God said, let there be light. There must have been some kind of noise when he said, let there be. Every time God spoke, there was a noise. And I'm sure when the earth was created, there was some kind of bang. Just not in the way that people think. And so when God spoke, first thing that happened was God spoke and there was. And so in part, we are the image of God because of the words that we speak and the power that that carries. You all know the way I feel about declarations and speaking things. Because I believe that we carry, uh, when we know Jesus, we carry a power. A power in our words. John Lennon says this. When you're drowning, you don't think. It would be incredibly pleased if someone would notice I'm drowning and come and rescue me. You just scream. And so our words have the power to get people's attention. For good. Or for bad. Our words have the power to destroy someone in an instant. Or they have the power to build up and encourage. In Proverbs 18 it says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. It is the power of life and death. And so the question I want to ask this morning to start with is. Do my words, do your words bring life or do they bring death? Do they bring life or do they bring death? And this hit me hard this week. And do you, know, do you know, to be honest with you, my worst day this week was probably yesterday. With my words. And it always happens whenever you're being convicted about it, where you're going to preach it, you end up being the worst you've ever been. It's like when I got saved. The day before I got saved, I was the worst I've ever been. And so are my words bringing life or are they bringing death? And with that in mind, to start off with, I want to look at a few practical trigger points. Because we all have trigger points. We all have things that trigger us to say things that we shouldn't or th- say, th- say things that we should. And so there are reasons that we say the things we do. The reasons are this, response. It's our natural response. That's what I do. That's how I respond in the natural. There's entitlement. I'm entitled to talk to you this way. There's position, whether that's in church, in family, In houses, in work, your position maybe feels like you're entitled to talk to someone. Your gender, your age, your education, your ability, your wealth, your postcode. And do you know what the other reasons are? Because we love them or because we know them really well. Do you ever realize that it's the people you love the most? People you love the most you say things to that you wouldn't say to anybody else. And I'm guilty of that. The people we love the most, we speak to differently. And okay, there's some alliance for that. But we'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more later. You know, some days it feels like, even as men, we have hormone imbalances. Anybody else feel that way? Is that just me? Maybe it's God just giving us a snippet and going, there's a wee half an hour of how, how the ladies feel, so deal with it. And so I feel sometimes that I have a hormone imbalance, and sometimes I just can't help the things I say. And that leads to the next one, our excuses. I just can't help it. That's the way I am. Do you not know me? Do you not know me when you married me? That's who I am. That's the way I've always been. Did you hear how they spoke to me? Has anyone ever heard that one? They deserved it. This is a good one for Northern Ireland. I was only joking. A joke with a jag, we call it. You need to hear my side of the story. I didn't realize what I said. Or in the worst case, I really don't care what I said. And all these things are a daily reality for us with our tongues. And then there's the root. 
of these. So we have our reasons, we have our excuses, and we have the root. We can respond to someone with our words because we're guilty, because we feel guilt, or maybe guilt that's piled on because of our own behavior, because of anger, because of jealousy, because of lust, because of abuse, whether it's been abused or you are the abuser, of covetedness, of shame, and the last one, because of fear. And not just fear of things, but fear of being found out if they only knew who I really was. If they only knew how I really behaved. Or fear of others. And so our words, they they don't only have power to bring us death and life in this world, but also in the next world. In Matthew, it tells us that Jesus said, but I will tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The message says it like this. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be our salvation. Words can also be your damnation. Words are so important, and the fact is that we will give account for our words. We will give account for our words. And so I realized this week, my goodness, I wrote down here, Selah. That word of, they don't really know what it means, but apparently it means ponder and stop and think. And I think we need to think about that. The fact that when we go to heaven before the king, yes, our sins are forgiven, but he's, I believe he's still going to be able to say to us, before you go in there, don't take my theology to be exactly, but do you remember what you said to this person? Can I show you the consequences that you never knew? Or do you remember the great thing you said to this person? Let me show you the consequences you never knew. And so I think that we need to learn to stop and think before we speak. We need to take a sailor moment in situations as people that love Jesus. Because we need to ask ourselves a question, are we using our words to build or destroy people? Are they filled with hate or love? Are they filled with bitterness or blessing, complaining or compliments, lust or love, victory or defeat? And just like tools, they can be used to build people up. Or if you use tools like I do, they can be used to create very big holes and walls that can't be fixed. I'll show you the one behind my TV in Ronnie's new house. That wasn't my fault. That was a nail that had been there for 30 years. But they can create a mess if you don't know how to use them properly. And the tongue is the same thing. If you don't know how to use the tongue or where we're going to, if where the words of your tongue come from aren't right, it can create holes and scratches so deep that they may never recover. And so the the Apostle Paul wrote, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And in this passage, the word unwholesome means foul and rotten fruit and vegetables. And so what he's saying is literally, don't be using foul and rotten words just for the sake of it. Just for the sake of it. Sometimes we say someone just for the crack. But we don't realize what that language is doing. We are to carry beautiful, ripe fruit. And I had a picture of this. Like, imagine I was a grape, like a grapevine. It'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? And I'm walking along the street. I had this picture of grapes falling off me and people picking them up and going, my goodness, that's amazing. But in this passage, it's saying we're walking around and it's like rotten fruit is dropping off us and it repels people. They don't want to come near us. My goodness, look at the trail that's leaving. Whereas we should be dropping these beautiful fruits on people. Whenever they're walking near us, they see something that they want. They get a taste of something that we carry. And it all, I believe, starts with our language around people. And if you look at the end of it, I've I've put it in bold here. It says, because of the benefit of those who listen. 
And so in our culture, I think, and I found this out when I went to America, because we behave a lot differently here than the Americans do. And I realized that some of the things I say and do around my friends here, they're maybe not so acceptable over there. And they're not bad in themselves, but culturally they're just not acceptable. And it says, be careful who is listening to you and me speaking. So just because when me and Neil never together, we know that we can say some things to each other and have a bit of fun. The point is we don't know who's listening, who doesn't know Jesus, or someone that does know Jesus, who's listening to us going, well, if they can do that, then I can do it. And so for the benefit of others, we need to learn that what comes out of our mouth and what we speak can tear down or destroy, even if we are not speaking to the, the people that are beside us or near us. George Orwell said, but if thoughts corrupt language, language can also corrupt thoughts. And so if we get into habits as Christians of saying, it's okay. The things that we speak can start to corrupt the life that we live. They can start to corrupt the heart that we have for the Father. They can start to corrupt the things that we talk about and that we think about. In Paul, in his words to the Colossians, we realize that foul language is only an indicator of something that's deeper. The language that we speak is just a little indication that something maybe isn't right underneath the surface. In Colossians 4 verse 6, it says this, Let every word you speak be drenched with grace. In the Aramaic, it means compassion. And tempered with truth and clarity. Literally, this means seasoned with salt, making people thirsty for more. For then you will be prepared to give a respectful answer to anyone who asks about your faith. So literally it's saying the things that come out of our mouth, they should be like salt because people will thirst for more of them. People will thirst for more of your and my words. Now I read that sometimes and I think, okay, I'm getting there at a certain percentage of the time. But I'm remembering back to the start where God says, don't be feeling really, really bad because you need to do this one step at a time. But I want people to thirst for the words that we have coming out of us because they're not from us. Ephesians 5 verse 4 says, Guard your speech for sake obscenities and worthless insults. They are nonsensical words that bring disgrace, are unacceptable, and are unacceptable. Instead, so God doesn't just say, or he doesn't just give Paul the words, you shouldn't do this and that. He gives a response. And I love that about the New Testament. It always gives a response. But instead, do this. This is the alternative. Alternatively, let worship fill your heart. And let it spell out your words as you remind each other of God's goodness. So the worship that we, we have coming from our mouths reminds each other. And that's some of the songs that we sing in church on Sunday mornings. Or, or Sunday mornings are, God, we love you. We worship you. But other, word, other ones are like, uh, what do you call it? One, the creed. I believe this. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. We're, we're looking at each other and we're saying, I believe this. I'm reaffirming this. I want to encourage you that I'm good with this. You need help with it. or You know what I mean? It's, it's talking to each other and affirming each other and building each other up. And it's a response. I believe our words are an intentional choice that we make in response to God speaking to us and from his perspective. Years ago when I got saved, 2005, I was playing rugby for Coleraine, and uh, I remember going out on the rugby field for three weeks in a row after I got saved, and the rugby field was the only place I ever fought. It, sadly to say, it wasn't the only place I ever swore, but when I became a Christian, I could not control my tongue on the rugby field. I was tearing people down, I was swearing at people, I was shouting at people, and after three weeks, I spoke to my coach, and I said, listen, I'm a Christian now, and I can't control my tongue, and he laughed at me. He laughed at me. 
He says, I can't control myself in the field, and I need to step down until I can control this. And I stepped down for six weeks. And through that time, I think it was more serious then than nearly I am now, in that time I fasted and prayed, and I said, God, I need you to help me deal with this. But the first thing that God spoke to me is, it's your choice, David. It's your choice in that moment how you respond, but it all comes from the overflow of me in you. And so I went back, and I can say to this day, I've never sworn the rugby field since. I haven't played in a few years, mind you. Maybe that's the... But sometimes God will say to us, I've already given you the key for this. You just need to learn how to use it. Jesus reminds us that the words we speak are actually the overflow of our heart. Matthew 12, 34, 35 talks about that. And when someone becomes a Christian, there's a certain expectation that, oh my goodness, you'll stop cigarettes, you'll stop drinking, you'll stop swearing. And you know what? Sometimes for people, it happens in an instant. But for 90-something percent of us, it's a long, hard slog where the Father is saying, I want you to learn how to rely on me. And you're a part of this story, so you need to start doing some work yourself. And so a lot of the things that I struggle with are because I'm too lazy to actually do it myself. Or I get into bad habits, and we're going to get positive in a minute, okay? We're just getting all this out of the way. And so we should be different because of the choice we make. Because of the choice we make where we say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. The declaration means that the words coming out of the overflow of our heart should all of a sudden be different. Christians are those whose hearts have been changed by the power of God. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3 says that we uh, lived in spiritual death. And then Romans 3.13 says that before we were dead in sin, their throats are like open graves. And I'm not just saying, if you don't know Jesus, your throat's an open grave. But I remember the language, the response that came out of my mouth before I knew Jesus. And realistically, it was because I was too lazy to use proper words. And it really resembled my throat. It was an open grave. But he goes on to say that our words that are full of a heart that is blessed should... uh, Our hearts hearts that are full of the blessings of God should convey truth and blessings to others. Our words should demonstrate the power of Jesus Christ living within us. Uh, In in Ephesians 5 verse 8, Paul says this, Your mission is to live as children flooded with revelation light, and the supernatural fruits of his light will be seen in you, goodness, righteousness, and truth. In this revelation light, you will learn to choose what is beautiful to the Lord. And so it's in this time, spending, talking to the Father in communion, where the fruit of the Spirit, I almost terrified sometimes to pray the fruit of the Spirit because when I do it consistently, I always get opportunities to be patient, to be kind, to be self-disciplined. And sometimes I'm not in the mood or I, you know what I mean? And so our words are powerful when we start to pray and ask God, help me to be more patient, help me to be more kind, help me to be more loving, help me to be more compassionate. What God does is he gives us opportunities to be those things. And so this morning I want to look at some practical things and some spiritual things. But first, we're going to look at the practical response. And I want to just ask five simple questions that I've started asking myself. So number one is this. Understanding where our words are coming from and going to. So who is listening? What is their understanding? And what is my relationship with them? So I need to start understanding where my words are coming from. 
So if I find myself in a situation, I need to ask myself, is it anger? Is it lust? Is it jealousy? Is it um, fear? What is speaking? Is it those or is it the love of the Father? And my second thing I should think about, we're going to need to take 10 minutes before we speak to anybody from now on. My second thing is, what's the character of the person I'm talking to? Are they still drinking milk or are they eating solid food in spiritual terms? Do they know Jesus? Do they not know Jesus? Am I going to respond differently to them than I would to someone else? Alan Watts says this, We seldom realize, for example, that our most private thoughts and emotions are not actually our own. For we think in terms of languages and images that we did not invent, but were given to us from our society. So are our words coming from the Father, or are they coming from the society around us that says certain things are acceptable, where God says they're not? And so I want to be intentional with asking that question. Number two, and this is great for our culture, is what I'm speaking an exaggeration? There's millions there. Absolutely millions turned up for the concert the other night. C.S. Lewis says this to put it in context. Don't use words too big for the subject. Don't say infinitely when you mean very. Otherwise, you have no words left when you want to talk about something that's really infinite. Do you get that? And so what we do in our culture, and even as Christians, is we exaggerate things. And do you know what exaggeration is? Exaggeration's a lie. But we become so used to it, and we get to this point where we're like, it's okay. Where we don't realize that sometimes it can actually be a block. So when I come in here and I tell you, you know when we were in the streets a few weeks ago at Southampton, three people got saved. You're all like, oh, it's amazing. That wasn't really an exaggeration. But you didn't know that behind that, the, I was like a little schoolboy on the street and I was really nervous and I was terrified and I didn't want to talk to anybody only they forced me to talk to them and when they forced me to talk to them I led somebody to Jesus and then thought my goodness this is so easy and so sometimes when we exaggerate people listen and go oh, I could never do that or that's way too big for me instead of actually telling the truth and saying my goodness it was really hard but this is what happened or we didn't really have too many people show up but we're going to keep going And so we need to learn to stop exaggerating, no matter what area of life it is. Number three is this. Learn when silence is the right response. Learn when to speak or when to give an opinion. Also very hard for me. And remember back that we give an account to the Father for the words that we say and that we don't say. One writer said this. Silence is the language of God. All else is poor translation. And so I want to know when I'm opening my mouth, am I bringing life or am I bringing death? Am I bringing words from the Father or my own opinion that probably isn't that right? In Acts 12, Peter was waiting the next day to be executed. And as I read over this this morning, it says that Peter slept like a baby. And if that was me, I would be at the door going, guards, you don't understand, I'm not guilty. Do you know who I am? I'm not guilty. I haven't done this. I would be pleading my case. I would be shouting the prison down. I would be pleading for my life. But it says in Acts 12 that Peter slept, in the message translation, slept like a baby. Sometimes God wants us to be silent. Sometimes God just wants us to be there for someone in the silence and in the moment because of the presence that we carry, not even the words that we speak. Number four, learn the consequences of our words. Do you have the character to clean up the mess that you leave? Jody Picoult says this, words are like eggs dropped from great heights. You can no more call them back than ignore the mess that they leave when they fall. And I'm so guilty of this. Where sometimes, even out of fun, 
or we don't realize the joke with the jag, we say things that we cannot take back. We say things that we don't even realize the damage that they've done to people. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have the character to clean up the messes that you make? Or maybe this morning there are some messes that you know you've already made that God's saying, I want you to clean up. After David's finished today, I want you to go clean up these messes. Because you are a blockage to that person knowing me, or you're a blockage to that person getting more intimate with, the, uh, with me. So we do, we need to clean up some messes this morning. It's even, uh, I listened to Trump's speech. We'll not get into the politics this morning. But Trump's speech, it wasn't so much cleaning up a mess, but he turned from this negative fight, fight, fight to his first speech was almost like he was giving a kingdom speech. If you were to replace USA with the kingdom of God, we would have all been going, yes, go on. And so he turned the positive, or the negative to a positive. And one thing I found in in our culture, is that we always point out the negative, and I'm as guilty as anyone. We always point out the negative and say, you know what, a couple of things, but you know what, well done. You're so good. I'm glad we've done that with Amy this morning and prayed for Because in our culture, we always focus on the negative instead of building people up and encouraging people. And even negativity can be turned to construction with a heart of love and relationship. Number five is be consistent in our language. Al David says that one lie has the power to tarnish, tarnish a thousand truths. So we need to be consistent in the things that we say, in the words that we say, even to our kids. Sometimes in one moment we can be tearing them down and the other we can build them up. To our wives, to the people that we work with. Be consistent in our language. Be known for consistency and integrity. So are we using words to build people up or destroy them? And there's two responses that um, I really have been thinking about a lot lately. For a couple of years now, I've, I've had these written down in my book. And they're these, what will my words bring to this situation? So before I go into a conversation with someone, and I've made a habit of this, every single day I say, God, I need your discernment. God, I ask for your gift of wisdom. I ask for divine problem-solving abilities. And before I go in, I say, God, what will my words bring to this situation? What do you want me to say and not to say? The problem is, in real, everyday, ordinary life that aren't official meetings with your wee tag from dropping, you don't do that. We just say things and do things and behave in a way that is a, that is a, a sign, maybe, of our overflow from the Father. And so if we can be intentional with all our relationships and all our conversations saying, God, what do you want to say? Because what will my words bring to this situation? And number two is about honor because honor means this. Have I left the the person in a better place than I found them? And so as people that carry the kingdom, I believe that if we are cultivating our soil in the right way and we want to help others cultivate their soil, what we need to ask is, have I left this person in a better place than I found them? Have I pulled them up from somewhere? This morning I was listening to some music and and at the start he said this, we look at people where they are and not where God wants them to be. And so in our situations when we speak to people, are we speaking to people about where they are or where we believe as kingdom carriers, where they can be and where God wants to pull them up to and point them towards it? And okay, I'm not all for this whole namby-pamby sort of, it's okay, get on with it. No, we need real, loving, um, constructive What's the word? You know what I mean? I'm not all one for all these pats in the back, but I'm one for get up. You're doing a great job. You could do a wee bit better. Let's get on. I'm here. Hold my hand. Neil, come and pick him up a wee bit. It's, we need to be more intentional with how we respond to things. 
And that's the way I want people to keep me accountable for my words. And Nicola's doing a pretty good job at it. Done a good job yesterday. I didn't tell her what I was preaching about today because I felt guilty all day. But she's done a good job. We need grace. And that's what grace is for. So if, if this morning you're, you're recounting all these conversations, I definitely didn't leave them in a better place. Please don't get guilty about it. Just repent of it and say, God, I need to go and speak to them. If not, that's what grace is for right now. The Dalai Lama said this, in order to carry a positive action, we must develop here a positive vision. And so part of whenever we hear people speaking and they're down on people, they're negative, it's all because they don't have a vision. It's all because they don't know where they're going or they don't know the one who's pointing them to where to go. And so part of what we um, as Christians need to understand is that we have a vision waiting for us. Just like I said this morning with the doors, God has created doors for us to go through. But what he's saying is you need to stop and listen and learn about the keys that I have given you in your life to go through those doors. And for us, that vision comes from the Father. The vision has to come from the Father. And this is the spiritual side. It has to come from knowing the Father. Our words are shaped by the overflow of our heart. And that overflow is shaped by time with the Father in the quiet place. And it's the law of connection. In Genesis 12, 1 to 7, um, it says this. I'll read through it very quickly. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed um, as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He, he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into the household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived at Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak at Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give you this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who appeared to him. And so... I'm nearly done. But what I, what I want to point out from that is that God could have come into Abraham and he could have said, Abraham, go, do what you're told. But Abraham, or God came in and said, God, uh, Abraham, this is the future that I have for you. This is what I want for you. And I'm asking you right now, trust me and to go. And when you go, I'm going to reveal things to you that you never thought possible. And so what God done was he didn't just take Abraham by the hand. He touched Abraham's heart, and then he took his hand. And so this morning, God is not saying, you must do this. Your language is disgraceful. You must do God is saying, listen, if you really, really want to connect with me, if you love me, if you want me to be the overflow of your heart, then that's what's going to change your words. It's not programs. It's not strategies. It's not sending a reminder on your phone when you wake up in the morning. Don't use bad, foul language this morning. If you need that, then we need to pray for you. It's about a response to the Father who says, I have a vision for you, and it's that vision that's going to change your future. It's that vision for you that will mean you won't perish. It's that vision that means you're not going to be negative Nelly. You're going to be positive Pauline, who's lying in bed sick. We need to pray for Pauline. And so God says this morning, I have a vision all created for you. 
And I want you, when you know your identity, to step up into that. I've given you the key. I want you to listen to me because I am going to open doors that are going to shape your whole life, that are going to cultivate your soil so that you're going to be fruitful throughout all seasons where you're always going to bear fruit. It's not going to be rotten fruit. It's going to be ripe fruit that people want. And God's longing for that connection, just like he longed for it with Abraham. He's, he said, I want to connect with you. And when, I, when you connect with me, things are going to change. But to finish off with, there was one thing that Abraham didn't have. He didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have. And in Romans 8, 1 to 39, we're not going to read, read it, don't worry. Paul talks about the Spirit-filled life. But he also goes on to say that the Holy Spirit is our navigator. He is the ultimate navigator, the ultimate GPS that doesn't keep rerouting. Well, sometimes it does for some of us. I think it's a test. And sometimes it takes us down the wee back lanes where we don't know where we're going, but ultimately we get to our destination. But he says that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate navigator that wants to navigate us in all areas of life. And the life that Paul's talking about is a life of liberty, Romans 8.1, a life of hope, Romans 8.9, a life of power, in Romans 8.26 on. And so with speech, with what comes out of our mouths, God wants to navigate us in what we say to people what we do to people. And I want to tell you a quick story. I was listening to some videos last night, and there's this guy called Sean Bowles. Some of you know him. He, he would be a really prophetic guy. And uh, him and his wife were going to the beach one day. This was last year. And they felt God um, saying to them, I want you to go to another beach. And they went to another beach, and the only parking space they could get was in a hotel. And they walked through the lobby of the hotel, and the guy, Sean, felt God say to him, I want you to go in and pray over the bride. And he looked at his wife and he said, and they both said, sorry, at the same time, we're going to go and pray for that bride. God had spoken to his wife as well. And so he said, we were in flip-flops and shorts and we went in to try and find the bride. And she was at the bottom of the stairs getting photographs taken. And we went down and we said, can we um, speak words over you from God? We just feel like God's put a word in our heart. And she's like, yeah, go ahead. And what they said was this, we want to affirm and confirm to you that you're making the right decision. That was all it was. They didn't know what it meant. Well, you can tell sort of what it meant. And the, the girl broke down in tears. Completely broke down in tears. And she looked at them and she said, I am I'm coming out of three generations of divorce. And I was terrified of getting married because of that. And he just said to her, well, God wanted to connect with you today. He sent us to the wrong beach in our flip-flops in the Aladdin, all because he cares about your feelings of your future. And he wants to give you a vision for the future that will cast aside all the nonsense of the past. And it will completely change her perspective in the marriage. It will change her language. It will change her heart. It will change everything. And it introduced her to a God who intimately wants to know her. And I watched that video last night in tears because I said, God, I want words like that. When's the last time I woke up in the morning in brushing my teeth? It doesn't matter where I am saying, right, God, who do you want me to speak to today? Where do you need me to stop and forget about the itinerary that I have in my phone? Because I've done it before. I've seen it before. But sometimes the busyness of life just takes over. I was out with Andrew McGuire last week. And uh, I'm, I'm nearly finished. My alarm hasn't went off yet. It's okay. When you hear Mario Brothers going, it's time up. And uh, so if you know Andrew McGuire, he's definitely, he, he, he hears from the Lord and he, he just brings life to so many people. And so we were out in the van doing pickups in Cedar Rapids in Iowa. And uh, 
he started running after all these people that were in crutches and praying for them. And he's like, what are you doing? We're trying to do pickups. And he said, I promised the Lord this morning that anybody I seen that was... Um, that looked ill or there's something wrong with them, I would go and pray for every single one of them. And I thought to myself, that's a wild pain in the butt, boy, but you're convicting me a wee bit. And so later on, um, I arrived at to check in at my hotel. And I realized when I got up to the room, and I had Colton and him with me, because we were coming up to just have a chat. And I realized, so I got to the room door, that I didn't have my key. And so I says, Andrew, you know the way, that's what apprentices do. I says, Andrew, run down and get the key there for me, will you? So he went down, and 20 minutes later, he still hadn't come up. And I said to Colton, there must be a busload of old people have pulled up outside this hotel, and he's praying for every single one of them. So I went downstairs, and I went to the car, and there he was looking for an actual proper key. Now, when's the last time you went to a hotel that had an actual proper key? But anyway, that aside, what I want to get out of that is that the reason I said about the bus was because of the reputation that Andrew has. My first thought of him wasn't negative. My first thought was, he's probably praying for someone. And it hit me. Is that what people think of me? Do people, what, what kind of reputation do we have? And so sometimes Andrew might be a wee bit annoying with all the praying for people. But I tell you what, he's going to see a lot of stuff. He's seen a lot of miraculous healings. He's seen a lot of people set free. We stood in... Um, the church two weeks ago with a couple who God just gave him three words for. And they stood absolutely abandoned in tears because God, who knows them and loves them, spoke to them intimately. And it's going to push them forward into a future that's going to be completely different to it was two minutes before we said, God, what do you want to say to these people? And so what I want to do this week, I want to have this habit of saying, right, God, if it's one word, I want to be bold enough to go and speak to people. And if you're at a position where you're still learning to hear the voice of God, it's just looking for someone to encourage or someone that really, really annoys you to say, God, I need to be a bit different. I need to behave a little bit differently. I need my words to be different. I need my language to be different, even if it's joking. The Holy Spirit does a few things for us. He intercedes for us, so that means in the moments of silence where we discern we do not need to speak, that we can be confident because up in heaven, the Holy Spirit and the Father of the Trinity are saying, we've got this. You just sit there with your presence carrying us into this situation. You just sit there and be there. The second thing he does, he directs us and he testifies to us. He directs us. And so he gives us wisdom for words that we should and shouldn't say. And if he's directing us into a place, you be confident and bold that it's for a specific reason. Number three, he empowers us and anoints us. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. The problem is sometimes we don't stop and wait to be filled up. We don't dock in the loading, the loading bay to be loaded with the Father's heart and the Father's words for the day. Sometimes we just run a little bit on empty. Number four, he helps us discern. And the reason for the sermon is so that we bring words of life. Because I've realized that a thousand of my own words, like this morning in this sermon, which is 2,000 something words, if God wanted to say three specific words, it could blow mine completely out of the water. And if we are a people here seeking God and saying, what is your specific word for this person in this specific season? It can change their lives around forever. And number five, he confirms and bears witness with us. 
And what I wrote down beside that is that it gives us confidence. And I have this picture of me walking in the situations. And then walks in behind me is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's like, we're here to back this man up. You better listen to what he's got to say. And I can stand there boldly and confidently as a son of the king and say, I really believe that, that God wants to influence your life. And he wants to tell you this. And he wants to build you up. And he wants to encourage you. And he wants to point you to where you can be, not where you are right now. And so my longing is this. And it's in the words of Jeremy Riddle, only I've changed them a wee bit for me. My longing is this. That I learn to do every season well. That my behavior, my decisions, my words don't change in bad seasons or off seasons. I want my behavior, my disciplines, my devotions to be a lot more constant. I want my maturity to be constant. So that in seasons of pain, I won't abandon everything that God has done and is saying and is doing for me. I want to do things that I'm called to. I want to do things that I'm made to do. I want to hold fast to the promises of God and I want to keep running after them. I can take pieces of other people into my life, but I want to know what I am made for. I want to know what I am meant to run after with my heart and my soul. And in the middle of that, I want to drink from the other streams that he has gracefully placed around me. Then Pete Craig said this in his new book. We must become our prayers, not sit around waiting for them. It's not just about saying, but it's also the becoming of thousands of ways. And so this morning, if you're struggling with the overflow of your heart, with your words, there's only so much praying you can do without God saying, you actually need to do something. And there's the Mario Brothers telling me, what perfect timing. So how can you practically respond today? Maybe what you need to do is uh, what Nicola wants to do in our new house that we have too much room. We don't know what to do with it. Is uh, make a prayer warrior closet. Or what you need to do is say, right God, like water in the plant, if I say an hour a day, it's going to fall flat in its face by the end of the week. I'm going to start with 10 minutes that I'm devoting to you this morning. Whether it's in brushing your teeth or eating your breakfast, that 10 minutes, the phone is down, the TV is off, and I'm listening to your voice. Maybe the choice is that I need to rethink what I blame on my past, my hurts. I respond in this way because of how I was treated when I was this age or because of how someone treated me. I want to make intentional decisions to do what Ephesians 5.15 says. Don't live foolishly as those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom. For we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every opportunity. So David, you want to come up? I want to take advantage of every opportunity. And the purpose of me talking about our words is not so that we all um, stop swearing or that we all have lovely language. The point of it is the overflow of intimacy with the Father. That we turn the world upside down from being negative people to being people who are positive and build others up around us and push them and champion them on and cheer them on to what God has for them. And this morning what I want to do is to, you want to stand, we're going to sing. I don't want, I've been talking about perspective and lenses and I realized that, uh, watched a video this week and 
I realize what it said is so true. I don't want new lenses. I want new eyes, God. I want your actual eyes. Sounds strange. I want your actual eyes. I want to see as you see. I want to love as you love. I want to respond as you do. In 2 Kings, God asked the people, how long will you falter between two options? How long will you falter between two options? Because the only option is him. The only option is the Father. And for too long, even I have faltered between two options. And so I want to respond to him this morning by saying, God, you are my only option. And I want my my life to represent how I feel about you, God. I want my priorities, my day, my finances, my family. Everything to represent how I feel about you, Father. And as we become more intimate with you, the burden is easy and the yoke is light.